I'm Frank Holland, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show is live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your 5 at 5. We begin with no holiday hangover here as Wall Street looks to stay in the win column after a long Christmas weekend. Futures right now, they are higher. And if history is any indication, traders can expect the rally to last through year's end. We're going to break down St. Nick's almost annual gift for investors. And it's not just the U.S. Across the pond, major indexes also about to close out a stellar 2023. We break out your 2024 Europe playbook in just a moment. Plus, could we see an easing to the Red Sea shipping risk? What one major carrier is considering this morning and later, Bitcoin bulls waking up with new reasons to ring in the new year early. It is Tuesday, December the 26th, 2023. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. Welcome to Worldwide Exchange. Hope you had a great holiday weekend. Let's get you ready to start this day. As always, we kick off this hour with a check on U.S. stock futures after a long holiday weekend. Taking a look right now, you see the Dow is basically right now looking like it would open up about 70 points higher. Uh, The Nasdaq and the S&P also solidly in the green. Wall Street coming off, uh, of course, coming off yet another winning week. This other Dow extend its weekly win streak to eight. That's its longest since 2019. Same story for the S&P 500, up eight weeks in a row for the first time since 2017. Big part of that story is big tech. As tracked by the Nasdaq 100, up more than 50 percent this year and on pace for its best year since 2009. Ahead of the open, it's less than a half a percent away from its all-time high. We're also checking bond market yields this morning. As always, we focus on the benchmark 10-year to start at 3.88% right now. We're also looking at energy this morning, specifically oil. WTI, that's the U.S. benchmark when we're talking about oil. Taking a look at that right now. Uh, WTI right now coming in at, well, uh, 73.30 cents a barrel, down about a third of a percent. Brent crude down fractionally at about almost 79 bucks a barrel this morning. We're also, uh, with Europe closed for Boxing Day, we're looking at a brief check on how Asia closed overnight. Taking a look at Asia right now, a bit of a mixed picture right now. The Shenzhen Composite down more than 1%, the Nikkei up just fractionally at this hour. All right, let's get a check on some of this morning's top corporate stories. Our Silvana Hanau is here with those. Silvana, good morning. Hey, Frank, good Tuesday morning to you. Shipping giant Mark says it's preparing to resume operations in the Red Sea and Gulf of Aden, citing the stepped-up military presence by the U.S. and its allies in the region. The company had paused sending ships through the key shipping channel, one that accounts for some 12% of global shipping traffic earlier this month, and that was due to the attacks on its ships. No word yet from BP, Lloyd Hapog, and the nearly dozen other companies that have paused Red Sea routes in the recent weeks for similar reasons. Meanwhile, ChatGPT creator and Microsoft-backed OpenAI is reportedly in early talks to raise a fresh round of funding with a valuation at or above $100 billion, which would make it one of the most valuable private companies in the world. Now, according to Bloomberg, terms, valuation, and timing have not been finalized and could still change. The report adds OpenAI has also held talks to raise funding for a new chip venture with Abu Dhabi-based G42 for between 8 and $10 billion. Now, unclear if the two funding talks are related. 
and the SEC is taking one step closer to its decision on future of spot Bitcoin ETFs. Now, according to Reuters, agency officials met Thursday with representatives from BlackRock, Grayscale Investments, ARK Investments, 21 shares and three other companies looking to launch ETFs tied to Bitcoin, telling at least two of them to submit final changes by year end. The SEC is due to decide whether to approve or reject the joint proposal from ARK and 21 shares by January 10th. Ahead of that decision, Bitcoin this year, Frank, up 156 percent. Yeah, been a big rally for uh, cryptocurrency this year. Silvana, thank you very much. We'll see you later on the show. All right. Turn our attention now back to the markets. It's day two of the so-called Santa Claus rally period, which is comprised of the final five trading days of of the year and the first two of the next. The odds of a positive return are definitely in your favor if history is any guide. There have been 127 Santa Claus rally periods since the Dow Jones Industrial Average was created back in 1896. Of those, the S&P has moved higher in 98 of them, or 77% of the time. The average gain has been 1.6%. Across the rest of the year, the market's risen 56% of the time, with an average gain of just 0.2%. Let's talk much more about the year in trading now with Vance Howard, CEO and Portfolio Manager at Howard Capital Management. Vance, good morning. It's great to see you. Hey, good morning, Frank. Good to see you as always. So, Vance, as we mentioned, in day two of what would be the Santa Claus rally period, are you a believer in the Santa Claus rally? What sectors of the market do you see taking leadership if you are? I am a believer. <laughs> I think we're going to have a good four or five days. Um, I think the market's going to do very, very well. The market started to broaden out. Your PCE indicator came in at a really good number. Uh, bonds are even looking good. So I think it's a very positive scene going into year end and going into 2024. All right. So you're talking about bonds. I, not a lot of people are talking about bonds right now, Vance. You're bringing up bonds when everybody's expecting an equity rally. Why are bonds looking so good to you right now? You know, it's a funny thing. When you look at TLT, and we do quite a bit of it now, we started buying it about uh, two or three weeks ago. You, you've got a, uh, you, it was up around, uh, what, $88, $84 a share. Now it's running around $98 a share. We've seen a really good rally in the bond market. I think it's been very productive and positive. And I think people really need to look at the bonds going into 2024. It may be a better asset class than even the S&P, even though we think the S&P is going to do very, very well. So just uh, for clarity for the audience, the TLT is the iShares 20-plus year Treasury bond ETF. So basically you're saying you're in favor of longer-term bonds, at least in ETF form? I think you're going to get bigger bang for the buck because I think you can look to maybe see three three uh, interest rate drops from the Fed next year. I think the PCE indicator coming in, in so low as the dropping below is that 3% level was very, very productive for the market and for bonds. But bonds are incredibly oversold right now. And I just think that if he starts to drop rates, I think you'll see a massive rally in the bond market. You know, AGG, which is the aggregate bond index, you could look at that also. But high yields have done well. But I just think you get more bang for the buck with the longer term treasuries right now. All right. So you're looking at longer term treasuries. I want to go back to equities for a moment. Um, You're also looking at the triple Qs. Uh, You're very bullish on those. Don't you feel like they had a big run this year? Do you still think they have more room to run in 2024? You know, you know why I like the Qs is because they do have that Magnificent 7 in right. there. They did have a great year, but you do have some diversification inside the Qs. So not only are you going to get the bang for the buck of that Magnificent 7, but you've also got to spread it out, uh, some, uh, so spread out of your risk of different equity uh, exposure, different classes. But, you know, when, if you take out the Magnificent 7, Frank, the price to earnings at 15.3 and this market starting to broaden out. So this market is not overheated as far as price to earnings are going if you take out the Magnificent 7. So... I think going forward, this market's going to look really, really attractive, and the Qs could be a way to play it and diversify your book a little bit. And I think small caps are going to do very, very well also as this market broadens out. 
Yeah, your pick for us today is uh, VBK, the Vanguard Small Cap Growth Index. So you're 100 percent invested in the market. Sometimes we, you, you talk to us, you're, you know, 60, 40, 95, 5. But right now you're 100 percent invested in the market. Um, are you overweight in any one particular area? Triple Q's, the small caps, the TLT bonds. I mean, give us a sense. Where are you really putting your focus as we enter the new year? Well, we're really over ta- uh, overweight tech. There's no doubt. Everybody needs to stay long the Magnificent Seven. I think they're going to still do well into 2024. But we started to broaden out our book a lot with small caps. Even, you know, IWM's looking good as far as the Russell 2000 or VBK is looking very, very good. And I think that those are areas that you're going to want to play. Also, another area, if you look at biotech, biotech was really oversold in 2023 and it's starting to make a, you know, a pretty nice rally back up. So I think you need to start taking a look at some biotech stops, maybe even J&J, but IBB is a good uh, ETF of the biotech sector that can be played and, and then you diversify your risk. So there's going to be a lot of activity in 2024. We're very bullish. All right. Vance Howard saying diversify your portfolio. Also look at long bonds. Vance, great to see you. Thank you very much. Hope you had a great holiday. Hey, thank you, Frank. All right. A lot more to come here on Worldwide Exchange, including the one word that investors have to know today. But first, airlines doing their best to avoid last year's Southwest holiday meltdown. that left more than two million would-be flyers stranded at departure gates. Plus, we speak with one CEO bringing the manufacturing and industrial sector into 2024 with the help of, what else, artificial intelligence. Then later, record high rates doing nothing to put a damper on holiday spending and the stats and stocks you need to be watching. Coming up, we have a very busy hour still ahead on Worldwide Exchange. Stay with us. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Travel conditions over the holiday weekend were relatively nice compared with last year's Southwest meltdown where more than 2 million would-be flyers were left stranded. On Christmas Day itself, FlightAware reporting only 157 flights into or out of the U.S. were canceled and just about 2,000 delayed. Those stats as of late afternoon. TSA records show more than 2.6 million people were screened at security checkpoints on Thursday. That's up 6% from a year ago. And the numbers from this weekend, they haven't even been released yet. Let's talk much more about the travel season and the airline industry as we head into 2024. David Van Miller is the president of the Falcon Group and the former CEO of Pan Am and Aloha Airlines. David, I hope you had a great holiday weekend. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me and happy holidays. So let's just get right into it. Um, How did you view the airline industry this year? What's your outlook for 2024? Well, I hate to see the video you just showed, which was last year, which was just awful. This Thanksgiving, if you notice, Frank, was pretty decent. And weather is always a factor, but there's some things that the airlines have obviously done and the FAA. The FAA has boosted staffing in the Northeast corridor, which was critical. Uh, This year will actually surpass 2019 in volume for for the full year. And uh, we expect next year to grow, 24, to grow about 3%. And this year is, I believe, the strongest passenger volume year that the industry has experienced. So that's really, really positive. So wait, this yes. is, 2023 is a record year for passenger volume? Yeah, oh. yeah. Uh, from before COVID, uh, yeah, even before COVID, really? record. You know, look, pent up demand, uh, low unemployment. Uh, and consumers good, that continue to be willing to spend. I mean, consumers just spend and spend. Um, we I just look into the, the consumer sentiment, which you guys talk about a right. lot, is strong. 
It certainly is. The numbers look really good. Yeah, we're going to talk about and, holiday shopping in just a moment. I want to ask you about something, though. We talk a lot sure. about consumers, but let's talk about business travel. Um, what are you expecting when it comes to business travel? That's a higher margin business for most airlines. Are you expecting to see that also accelerate 3% or maybe even more next year? I don't know about 3%. You know, it's been soft for the past, uh, let's say, this past year. It was less than the volume of overall traffic. We expect business travel to increase in 24. I don't think it'll be 3%, but there's no question it's going to go up. Uh, the industry, particularly the major carriers, are benefiting from that premium travel. Right. They're offering more incentives. They're offering free Wi-Fi, better deals in terms of frequent flyer programs, et cetera, because the industry needs that business travel. And what's interesting also, by the way, if you look globally, not just in the U.S., mm-hmm. with a strong dollar, uh, it helps going to Europe even for business travel. And I think that will continue. Okay. Uh, the industry, the big carriers are doing better than the low-cost carriers overall because of their premium class and well, their route structure. I think you were leading me to my next question. Um, when we look at the airline industry, um, is it the small carriers you expect to do better as far as the stocks? Um, would you say for investors they should really be looking at the bigger carriers because you expect them to be stronger going into the next year? Well, what I always look at is is not individual but long-term. Right. If you're doing a day trader, don't be in the market. But if you're not, take a look at the PEs and the performance of the past year of the big carriers and then the small carriers. And there's two new carriers that have just come up in the past two years that are reasonably well capitalized, Breeze and Avillo on the East Coast and the West Coast. I would take a look at those and Sun Country, which is smaller. But I think they have stronger upside. I also think Southwest has upside. Got it. They got creamed last year, if you take a look yeah, at the performance. After that holiday season meltdown, I think it's, it's a fair word to me, and people uh, stuck as part of all that. One last quick question I want to ask you about. Um, Hawaiian Alaska, uh, that merger there, what's your view on it? I know when you were the CEO of, of Aloha, you were pushing for some mergers yourself. What do you think about the possible M&A picture when it comes to the airline industry going forward. I went to every CEO. I sat down with Gary Kelly at Southwest. I begged him to take a low. I said, you're coming sooner or later. It'd be cheaper to come with us. I went to Alaska for the same situation. Guess what? They both now are going to Hawaii. And it's a rounding error in terms of the DOJ. I mean, they may take a look at it because they're very political in some respects. They want to show like the JetBlue issues with Spirit or with American. They want to show that they're doing something for the consumer. But on the West Coast and the combination of Alaska and Hawaiian is going to be very strong. It's probably going to hurt United. Very interesting. David Bay Miller, I wish I was going to Hawaii. Can you call me and tell me I'm going to Hawaii eventually? It's really great to four see years, you. Four years on the beach in Waikiki on Saturdays spoils anybody's life. <laughs> David Bay Miller from the Falcon Group. Great to have you here. Appreciate the time and the insight. All right, Thanks. coming up here Take at Worldwide Exchange, a California judge delivers a devastating loss to an already cash-strapped social network, formerly known as Twitter. We will give you the full story in just a moment. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. It's not just the tech. It's not just tech racing to get into the white-hot AI craze. Parts of the real economy are jumping on the bandwagon, too. According to one report, more than 70% of manufacturing CEOs who have deployed AI in their business are seeing a significant return on investment. That includes your next guest, whose company provides a suite of cloud-based services for manufacturing customers like BMW, Dell, and Clear. 
Joining me now, Randy Altshuler, co-founder and CEO of Zometry. Randy, good morning. Hope you had a great holiday. Thank you for being here this morning. Thanks for having me, Frank. Great to be here. All right. So, Randy, I mean, I'm just looking at the charts right now. Since your last earnings back in November, the stock's more than double. Give us a sense. What are you seeing when it comes to demand? What do you think is giving investors so much confidence in your company? Well, you know, Zometry has grown this year over 18 percent in the fourth quarter. We're uh, forecasting uh, growth, you know, that's accelerating. And we also got it to being adjusted EBITDA positive in 2024. So I think investors are excited about our story. Um, you know, Zometry is the leading marketplace uh, for custom manufacturing. And we use AI to provide pricing for, for both buyers and suppliers and connect, uh, connect tremendous demand for, with uh, thousands of small manufacturers spread out across the country and across the world. Um, I, I do want to talk to you about what your customers are telling you right now. Um, you do use AI as part of your cloud-based suite of services. What are they telling you about their demand and how they see AI fitting into it? Yeah, as you, as you mentioned earlier, Zometry has done extensive polling this year with Zogby and Forbes, and more than 70% of manufacturing CEOs have deployed uh, AI in some fashion in 2023. And we expect that trend to, if anything, accelerate in 2024. So clearly, AI is, is a key part of, of manufacturing moving forward. And as I mentioned, we use that. We've used that since our founding of the company uh, to provide pricing and matching, optimizing the match between buyers and suppliers. Uh, one other thing that uh, seems to be a tailwind for your business is nearshoring. I was actually just in Mexico myself a few weeks ago. Uh, sure. More and more U.S. companies trying to at least make uh, or place part of their production and sourcing uh, in Mexico to try to mitigate some supply chain disruptions. How is that impacting your business as we look ahead to 2024? Yeah, 75% of the C manufacturing CEOs we polled have done some sort of reshoring in uh, 2023. And again, we expect that trend to continue. It's fueled by the Buy America, Build America, the Chips and Science Act, tax incentives. And again, if anything, we expect to see even more of that in 2024. So when you say even more of that, is it going to broaden out? And from what you're hearing from customers and other people who may be interested, is it going to broaden out more? I mean, we're looking at some of your customers, it's pretty diversified already, BMW, Dell. Um, but do you expect the, the nearshoring trend to broaden out and your company to benefit from that? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we're a technology company. It's a very extensible platform and we're in multiple different verticals and industries. And we expect this trend to be across all of those and, and really to span from the largest companies in the world to, to even the SMB market, more and more reshoring. You know, people are concerned. There's geopolitical concerns. There's climate related concerns. And there again, there are incentives here uh, by our federal government and different acts that are, are encouraging people to look here in the United States where we've got a tremendous manufacturing okay. base, as well as nearshoring as well. So, Randy, help me out with this one. We often talk about AI being a disruptor and also making businesses more efficient. Uh, according to the latest JOLTS report, there's a shortfall of about 587,000 manufacturing workers. How does AI close that gap? I mean, so many manufacturing jobs, you still do need a human touch. Give us a sense how AI can help close that gap for companies. Yeah, I mean, it surprises people, but manufacturing is actually a high-tech industry. And, and we like to call it the next Silicon Valley uh, is in manufacturing. So the, the people that are, are running these machines that are producing so many important goods need to know how to program. Uh, everything from 3D printing uh, to molding, casting, these are more and more using advanced technology. And you mentioned it, the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics thinks we have almost 600,000 jobs that haven't been filled yet in the manufacturing sector. That is actually the number one concern 
of CEOs is the labor gap here in the U.S. And AI, particularly as more and more technology is, is important in manufacturing itself, can help fill that gap. But is it enough? Absolutely not. We need to train more manufacturing workers right here in the United States as quickly as possible. All right, Randy Altshuler, co-founder and CEO of Zometry. Great to have you here. Thank you very much. Stock up more than 100% since your last earnings. Have a great day. Thank you so much. All right, coming up, a Warner Brothers box office bomb that shows Disney may not be the only studio facing superhero fatigue. And if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. Worldwide Exchange will be back right after this. It's right around 5.30 a.m. in the New York City area, and there's a lot more ahead here on Worldwide Exchange. Here is what's still on deck. The final week of 2023 trading looking to be a good one with stocks in rally mode and doing something for the first time since 2017. Investors not the only ones staying busy this holiday season. Consumers also coming out in force and giving retail a much-needed boost. A look at the name set for a breakout ahead. And then later, Mideast tension showing no signs of easing after yet another U.S. military strike on Iran-backed terror targets. It is Tuesday, December the 26th, 2023. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. And welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Holland. We're going to get you ready to start your day. As always, we pick up the half an hour with a check on U.S. stock futures after the long holiday weekend here in the U.S. Taking a look at futures right now, we are seeing futures solidly in the green. Looks like the Dow would open up about 70 points higher. Wall Street, of course, coming off yet another winning week. The Southern Dow extended its weekly win streak to eight. That's its longest since 2019. Same story for the S&P 500, up eight weeks in a row for the first time since 2017. Big part of that story is, of course, big tech is tracked by the NASDAQ 100, up more than 50% this year on pace for its best year since, uh, since 2009. Head of the open, it is less than a half a percent away from an all-time high. We're also checking the bond market this morning. As always, we start off with the 10-year benchmark right now, coming in with a yield of 3.88. We're also looking at the energy market, oil in particular, WTI. That's the U.S. benchmark there. Right now, it's 73.30, a barrel down a third of a percent. Same level as it was just about a half an hour ago. Uh, Brent crude, the international benchmark, down fractionally, basically at 78.96 a barrel. With Europe closed for Boxing Day, a brief check on how Asia closed overnight. Taking a look right now, uh, the Shenzhen Composite, the hardest hit down more than 1%. The Nikkei essentially flat, up fractionally. All right, now we want to turn our attention over to Europe. Those stock markets, they may be closed today, but for the year, the continent's about to cap off what can be described as a really stellar 2023, especially considering the headwinds investors are facing, including stubborn inflation, hawkish central bank policy, the ongoing war in Ukraine, and a possible energy crisis. Some of the biggest gainers year to date, the German DAX up nearly 20%. And about to see its best year since 2019, Spain also sharply higher, up 23%. Even better for Italy and Greece, up 28% and 39% on the year, respectively. So what does 2024 have in store? Our Germana Bersecchi has the outlook. 2024 looks set to be an eventful year in Europe and the UK, with major elections in both coming at a complex time for these economies. Now, forecasts for 2024 predict the euro area returning to growth by the middle of the year, with inflation continuing to fall. The ECB has held off from indicating a timeline for a policy shift, instead saying borrowing costs remain stubbornly high. However, expectations are that the central bank could start cutting rates in the spring. Meanwhile, the UK is also expected to avoid a recession, but growth will remain sluggish. 
Rates have most likely peaked, but the timing of any cuts from the Bank of England is unclear, although predictions suggest that they could slash around 125 basis points over the course of the year after November's big downside surprise to inflation. But it's not just that. The European elections in June will be a key inflection point, as early indicators suggest the right-wing parties are set to make gains across the bloc. The centre-right coalition is expected to hold on to its majority, with the Green and Left parties seen as the major losers. Now, In the UK, voters will go to the polls in spring or in fall, with the exact date still to be set. The opposition party Labour has made significant gains in the polls as the incumbent Conservative Party and Prime Minister Rishi Sunak have hit a number of policy hurdles. With so many factors at play in 2024, it is being labelled as a transitional year with more uncertainty about how key events could influence the direction of these economies. And our thanks to our Germana Brissetti. Joining me now with much more is Karsten Brzezeski, Global Head of Macro at ING Research. Karsten, hope you had a great holiday. Thank you for being here. Good morning. Merry Christmas. So, Jemana, uh, she called it a transitional year. She laid out a lot of big key events. Is there one key event that you're watching that you think is going to have the biggest impact on the year ahead? Well, it's going to be the ECB, um, very clearly. So I'm going to be watching when the ECB will really start cutting interest rates. And what we're currently seeing is that the ECB is not there yet. We've reached the peak um, rates, but it's going to take, in my view, at least until June before we will get the first rate cut. But this will clearly be a crucial moment for the Eurozone economy, which in the first part of this year will be rather sluggish and maybe even stay in a recession. All right. So talk me through this, Karsten. You're saying that you believe the beginning of the year is going to be pretty sluggish. But um, Germani did a great job laying this out. The German DAX and the Italian FTSE MIB, they're both on pace for their best years. Or they're going to probably finish on the, for the, their best year since the pandemic. What changes as we turn the page on the calendar? When we look at stock markets, it is remarkable indeed, because this this looks as if the European countries had grown in 2023 by, I don't know, 2 or 3%, but this is not true. We will see that the German economy in 23 will end up in recession. The Eurozone economy as a whole will probably have grown by... Uh, 0.5%. So when I look into 2024, I, I see the delayed impact from the ECB's monetary policy tightening in 22 and 23, which will weigh on investments, which will weigh on consumption. So I think that the first half of next year will clearly be this reality check also for investors when the European economy will not be able to make up or uh, to fulfill the dreams that investors currently have. So the first half of next year will still be a very tough one. And then come interest rate cuts by the ECB, come okay. probably also a recovery of the U.S. economy, we will see a recovery of the European economy. All right, you're talking about reality checks. The reality is there are a lot of geopolitical tensions, including the war in Ukraine, the Israel-Hamas war. How do you see those potentially impacting those European markets? Well, of course, there's always an escalation um, possible, uh, clearly an escalation of the war in Ukraine would have a negative impact on, on markets in, in the Eurozone. Same way you look at the, uh, the, uh, the, the Gaza conflict and the Gaza war, if this was to escalate further, be it with an impact on energy, um, be it on involvement of Iran, this would also be a negative um, factor for the European economy. I think the only upside I can see from these geopolitical conflicts is that they would end. 
um, that one of these two or even both military conflicts would end in 2024. And this could then actually even give a boost to European markets. Just think of uh, the reconstruction that will be needed for Ukraine. So this would clearly also give a boost to European markets. All right. So you mentioned a possible escalation, but just hypothetically, uh, because you do believe that these two conflicts have a big impact on the eurozone and uh, the, the indices there. If we see, see if we continue to see things stay the same, how do you see that impacting markets in Europe? I think if if things remain the same, um, they will not matter that much for markets, and then markets will really turn to monetary policy and to actually growth numbers. Um, I think when you also look at what the ECB, for example, is predicting, what we heard before, that the ECB sees the European economy returning to growth by mid next year. It is mainly driven by private consumption, according to the ECB. I would be a bit more cautious. So I would really watch private consumption. Will higher wage growth, will a drop in inflation really push right. up private consumption? Or could we see precautionary savings holding back consumption? You know, here in the US, we often have guests say it's a stock pickers market. You just can't invest broadly in this current environment. When it comes to the eurozone, can you can you put your money perhaps just in the DAX and play it broadly, or is it a very similar situation where you need to look at particular stocks and particular sectors? I think you know Europe is in a transitional phase, like like we heard before. So I really need to to really stock pick the sectors. What will be the sectors that will thrive, even in macroeconomic backdrop of stagnation? It will be everything related to energy um, energy transition to sustainability. Um, so these sectors will clearly thrive. We will have the other sectors um, that uh, that will be more prone to uh, to the transition. That is uh, automotives. That is probably also chemicals, um, which is will be retail. So these are the sectors that I would be thinking that they would be not that good in 2024. So you really have to pick the stocks, the sectors that could benefit from all the structural challenges, changes that are ongoing in the European economy. All right, Karsten Brzezewski, great to have you here. Thank you very much. All right, time now for a check with some of this morning's top corporate stories. Our Silvana Hanau is back with those. Silvana, good morning again. Hey, Frank, good morning again to you. Well, the Biden administration releasing its highly anticipated proposal for doling out billions of dollars in tax credits to hydrogen producers as part of its Inflation Reduction Act. Now, as part of the proposal, firms that produce cleaner hydrogen and meet prevailing wage requirements stand to qualify for the largest incentive at $3 per kilogram of hydrogen produced. Smaller but still meaningful credits, starting as low as 60 cents per kilo, will go to those that use fossil fuel to produce hydrogen. The White House estimates that the production credits will deliver $140 billion in revenue and 700,000 jobs by 2030, as well as help the U.S. produce 50 million metric tons of hydrogen by 2050. Meanwhile, Manchester United finally has a buyer. British billionaire Sir Jim Radcliffe agreeing to buy a 25% stake in the club worth about $1.3 billion and take control of football operations from the Glazer family. The deal values Manchester at about $5.4 billion. That's well below initial hopes of 
$6 billion and marks the end of a year-long battle between Ratcliffe and other bidders for outright control of the club. And a federal judge has ruled Twitter violated contracts by failing to pay millions of dollars in bonuses that had been promised had been promised to employees after Elon Musk purchased the company more than a year ago. Twitter's lawyers argued the company only made verbal promises to pay employees 50 percent of their 2022 target bonuses and never put it in a written contract, adding that Texas law should govern the case and not California, Frank. Get it all in writing. <laughs> you know, that's wise advice for just about everything <laughs> right? in life. My grandma used to tell me a promise is a comfort to a fool. <laughs> there you go. All right, Silvana, thank you very much. All right, turn our attention now to retail. The final stretch of the holiday shopping season kicking off this week with New Year's celebrations right around the corner. Despite concerns about inflation and an economic slowdown, consumers, they're just still finding reasons to spend. The National Retail Federation projecting sales to reach record levels during the final two weeks of the year, with consumers expected to spend an average of $875 on gifts, decorations, and food. Meanwhile, Adobe forecasting more than $220 billion in online spending, boosted by demand for toys, electronics, and apparel. Let's discuss what this means for spending in 2024 with Scott Mushkin, founder and CEO of R5 Capital. Scott, hope you had a great holiday. Thank you for being here this morning. Yeah, same to you, and uh, uh, good to be with you again, Frank. All right, so we're seeing some very optimistic projections when it comes to consumer spending for the holiday season. Do you believe these forecasts are correct, and are there any other factors we should look at other than the year-over-year rise? Is there something else that tells or gives us more information about really what's going on with consumer spending this holiday season? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, consumer spending has been strong, somewhat surprisingly, I think, as we got into the holiday period with student loans coming back into play, uh, high levels of uh, credit card debt. We thought the consumer would be a little bit more, I guess, judicious in its spending, but that that doesn't seem to have happened. It, I guess if you're working, you're spending, and we think spending was uh, was strong during the holidays. I do think it's still favoring services and you know leisure, going out to dinner versus goods, uh, because if you were in in the market for a TV or something like that, we had quite a bit of deflation there. So I think the the real question will be for retail is what what does profitability look like? I think the discounts came came uh, fast and hard during, uh, you know, during the holiday right. period. So I do think we'll have to see where profits are. Yeah, you mentioned some of that discount. You gave us an anecdotal example, uh, an 86-inch TV at Costco going for 898 bucks. Um, sounds like a deal. I don't have a good read on the TV market, but that certainly does sound lower. Uh, I want to look ahead to 2024. Um, we're seeing record levels of credit card debt. You mentioned student loans coming back. How does that impact the consumer environment for next year? I mean, I think it's a tough call to tell you the truth. Last year, um, we had a 75% chance of a pretty significant downturn, 25% chance that you know the economy would just click along and there wouldn't be any problems. We had the percentages reversed, but that's what seems to have happened. You know, looking forward, um, we have a couple things playing in the favor. It's an election year. Feds turn dovish. Uh, unemployment remains very low. So those are some of the pluses. I think as you look at the negatives, you know, we do have credit card debt that's high, and we've seen delinquencies go go uh, go up. Um, so so if you look at the environment, and you know, certainly one more geopolitical event is probably one too many. Right. So I think it's. Um, so that makes us really look at what companies we can do through thick and thin, do well through thick and thin.
So you mentioned the dovish Fed rates declining a bit, but I do have to ask you, is that a rising tide that lifts all boats? Because it seems like there's so much pent-up demand to buy houses and cars and things like that. If the rates continue to go down, does that boost all consumer spending or more big-ticket items? Well, I mean, it's certainly, you know, if you look at the stocks of like a Home Depot or Lowe's, you would say, gosh, people are definitely pricing in a rebound in housing. Uh, so I, I do think that's being anticipated in the market. From our perspective, you know, we, we just are a little bit more cautious. Uh, there's not a lot of supply out there in the housing market. I mean, clearly rates have come down quite a bit, um, but 7% mortgage is still is still pretty high. So that, you know, we would favor, and I, I know, the, you know people are kind of trending away for some, from Walmart, let's say. Uh, we think Walmart's a great buy going into the next year because, number one, if the economy does pull back a little bit, they should do really well. If the economy accelerates, I think one of the things that's underestimated in Walmart is what they've done in general merchandise. I mean, they've really improved their general merchandise, and we think that's going to have a big impact on the business if the economy continues to uh, click higher. Yeah, one of the other picks is Dollar Tree, but give us a sense. What's general merchandise? Is that toilet paper, soap? What is that in particular? No, it's the, it's the TVs. It's the clothing. Uh, they've really okay. done an incredible job on that side of the general merchandise side. So give us a sense. Uh, Dollar Tree doesn't really sell a lot of clothing. I don't believe. I haven't been in one in a while, no. but they certainly don't sell TVs. Why is that your <laughs> other pick? Well, I mean, I think if you look at Dollar Tree, it's again, it's it, it's a it's a start a stock for all seasons. If things are bad, it's, it's an extreme value. If things are good, um, they have a number of company initiatives. It's kind of the ultimate treasure hunt, so it is somewhat discretionary. And we're seeing them bring in multi price points. Um, the stock has not performed well uh, as they're kind of trying to turn this ship. Um, but as, as we look at it, we do a lot of field research. We have a consulting arm, and we're out of a ton of stores. We think they are making progress. And I think in most interesting is their move to multi-price points. So instead of everything's not a dollar anymore, it's dollar twenty-five. They're bringing in three, four, and five-dollar items. They are going to put it forward in twenty-four. Much more, I think, um, kind of formal strategy around this multi-price point, okay. which we believe, on top of their unique merchandising, can drive much higher revenues and much higher earnings for a number of years. By the way. All right. Scott Mushkin says Walmart Dollar Tree, two of your picks for 2024. Great to see you. Thank you for being here. Thanks, Frank. Good to be All right. here. Coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, about to close out a record-breaking year for her firm, Kathy Wood, snapping up shares of a new stock after a one-year hiatus. But first, we have a few of your top trending stories. The ruler of the underwater kingdom not having the same effect on the box office. The Aquaman sequel bringing in $28 million in its domestic debut, the fourth lowest in the history of the DC Extended Universe, other underperforming DC movies this year include The Flash, Shazam, and Blue Beetle. Your chance to fight off the sticky bandits, they may finally be here. Macaulay Calkins' Upper West Side Townhouse in Home Alone 2 hit in the market for $6.7 million. The property features a private garden, climate-controlled wine cellar, and a sun-soaked terrace. Sounds like we're trying to sell the house. And it's not just $1 hot dogs and loss-leading rotisserie chickens. Costco's out with a brand new deal. The discounter currently selling Screaming Eagle Napa Valley wine for $3,700, down from the average price of $4,700, um, of over $4,700. But don't wait too long to get a bottle. High demand and low production has many non-Costco members on the winemaker's online wait list. Worldwide Exchange, back right after this. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your global briefing. We turn to Iraq, a developing story this morning. The U.S. military carrying out 
Retaliatory precision airstrikes overnight, this after a drone attack earlier in the day by Iran-aligned militants, left one U.S. service member in critical condition and wounded two other U.S. personnel. U.S. officials say no civilians were harmed in its retaliatory strike. Strike marks the latest demonstration of how the Israel-Hamas war is rippling across the Middle East, creating turmoil that has turned U.S. troops at bases in Iraq and Syria into targets. The Bank of Japan in talks to move away from monetary easing once it becomes confident about achieving its 2% inflation target. The central bank governor says it will consider changing policy if the cycle between wages and prices intensifies. Although adding, timing of a policy change is still up in the air given global economic uncertainty. Analysts are currently expecting the BOJ to end negative interest rates during the first half of next year. And Samsung reportedly delaying mass production plans for its new $17 billion chip plant in Texas, moving the start date to 2025 from the original target of mid-2024. This after Samsung rival Taiwan Semi postponed production of its own upcoming Arizona factory from 2024 to 2025, citing a shortage of experienced construction workers and machine installation technicians. Much more Worldwide Exchange coming back right after this. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your WEX wrap-up. We begin with shipping giant Maersk saying it's preparing to resume operations in the Red Sea and the Gulf of Aden, citing a stepped-up military presence by the U.S. and allies in the region. OpenAI reportedly in early talks to raise a fresh round of funding with a valuation at or even above $100 billion. That would make it one of the most valuable private companies in the world. The SEC reportedly meeting with representatives from BlackRock, Grayscale Investments, ARK Investments, 21 shares, and three other companies looking to launch ETFs tied to Bitcoin, telling at least two of them to submit final changes by the end of this year. Kathy Wood scooping up 1.7 million shares of Yahoo Japan operator LY Corp for the first time in a year after reducing her stake for four straight quarters through December. Shares of LY climbing nearly 30% in the last two months on strong quarterly results. AstraZeneca entering a definitive agreement to acquire Graysell uh, Biotechnologies for up to $1.2 billion in an all-cash transaction. That acquisition is expected to help AstraZeneca's cell therapy ambitions with Graysell's growing pipeline of new therapies. And China approving 105 video games this morning in an effort to ease concerns over a regulatory crackdown on new gaming rules. The country's gaming regulator have proposed new restrictions on how long miners can play games and in-game spending limits last week. The major averages coming off their eighth straight winning week. That's a first for the S&P 500 since 2017 and for the Dow since 2019. The S&P now just about a quarter percent away from its all-time closing high. Let's talk more about the trading patterns as we head into the new year with Amy Wool-Silverman, head of derivative strategy at RBC Capital Markets. Amy, I hope you had a great holiday. Thank you for being here this morning. Great to be here, Frank. All right, so just give us a sense. What are you seeing as we look at the, the last trading week of the year and even into 2024? What is your WEX word of the day? So my WEX word of the day is mean reversion. And I know I always do this to you. I always end up giving you two words. So, you know, I'm also going to say that it could be normalization. And, and just what I mean is we've come off a few post-pandemic years that have been truly weird, both from an equity sense as well as an equity volatility sense, which is what I follow. But I think when you look to 2024, Frank, things will become more normal. And by that, in the equity options market, I do think people are going to start to look at hedging more at protecting their portfolios because something that's happened this year is they've become much more long. They've participated much more than they did the year before. So you're mentioning the options, Mark, right now. That's part of your specialty. 
What is the options market indicating to you as we go into 2024? Will tech continue to be the leader? Or are we going to see this broadening of the market that so many people have been talking about? Yeah, it's actually the latter. If you look to the options sentiment, something that's been really different this time around is when you look at IWM, the Russell 2000 proxy ETF, you've seen just an overwhelming demand for call options there. So folks really wanting to buy upside. You know, I started watching that in the beginning of November and I said, look, this is at fits and starts. Let's see if this remains sticky. Frankets remain really sticky. And I think what that means is the market is really looking for breadth. It's looking to move away from MAG7 now, it's not necessarily saying that there's downside to MAG7, but just that the party might be uh, going to other areas as well. So you're saying there's some broadening. Also, you're seeing some calls when it comes to the VIX. Give us a sense. The VIX, of course, the volatility indicator. What are, how do investors view the VIX right now and, and how are they playing uh, the possibility of volatility going into the new year? Yeah, it's a great question. So if you just look at headline VIX, we're still at pretty low levels. We're below that psychological 20 barrier. You know, we've really been floating around 12 or 13 handles. However, when you look at the action under the surface, you are seeing folks buy VIX calls. And VIX calls, different than other calls, is they're actually betting on volatility going higher. Now, normally, when you think about volatility going higher, that has an inverse relationship, actually, to the S&P. Usually, the S&P is going lower when volatility goes higher. So I do think it's interesting that the way investors are positioned is calling for higher volatility. All right. Amy Wu Silverman says investors looking for higher volatility as we go into the new year. Amy Wu, great to see you as always. Please tell your parents I said hello. I hope they're enjoying the holidays. I definitely will. Happy holidays. Uh, Futures higher across the board right now. We're going to leave it there. Squawk Box coming up next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. 